Hello, and welcome to First Importance, the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer today is that you will be blessed and encouraged by the message to come. Please make Dr. Brand feel welcome. Amen. It's good to be here. Um, I did not know that Dr. Milliken is a member of this church. Uh, my life, my ministry uh, is forever indebted to Dr. Jimmy. Love sitting in class with him and hearing him uh, supposed to be teaching theology. And we would get him on a tangent and he would say, I got a sermon on that. And, uh, and I'm the one student that I know of, others would do it, but I don't think they did it like I would. I would say, Doc, let me hear it. Let me hear it. And uh, I borrowed, sometimes without his permission, uh, some outlines and some other things he gave out. But I thought to myself, I paid for the education, so if I paid for the content, the content is mine. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, to put it as I would put it if I was in Mississippi, I love me some Jimmy Milliken. I thank God for him. It's been good to be with you all today. And I do bring you greetings from Mid-America, where I've been blessed to serve. I just started my third year there as vice president uh, and dean of the seminary. Something I never thought I would see myself doing. Uh, if you hang around me a little bit, you'll probably be convinced of this. I don't consider myself to be an academic. Uh, I read some books. Yes, I can read. I wrote a dissertation, but I don't consider myself to be an academic. I'm a boots on the ground kind of guy, and I spent almost 18 years at the same church in Starkville, Mississippi. Uh, before you start throwing rotten tomatoes and stuff like that, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, I know how to uh, congratulate you as well. I did hear that uh, the hog served up steak last night. Uh, <laughs> and so congratulations on that. I figured church would be a little bit easy to deal with today because uh, we both won uh, but I tell you I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about your church because as I was in fellowship talking man y'all have people from like all kind of persuasions y'all have people in this church that like Alabama and and, 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 and I, I met some old Miss people and some Razorbacks and I don't know we got to pray about y'all's unity <laughs> But uh, it's good to be here um, in children's church. Uh, Y'all kind of got my bodyguard away from me. My six-year-old son is with me, Micah. Um, my wife and I have been married for 18 years. We have five children from 14 down to three. And so if you ever need to know how to pray for us, I just gave you five requests. Um, but I do. I love my family. We've been traveling a lot. And I was supposed to be at my home church. Uh, I do go to church when I'm not preaching. Um, I do, and I sit and listen to my pastor. On Wednesday nights, we uh, rotate and teach fourth through sixth grade girls. And you talk about fun. Me and my wife in a classroom with fourth through sixth grade girls. And our first lesson with them a few weeks ago was talking about foot washing. Do you know what a response you'll get as a six foot two, 300 pound, guy with a size 12 shoe when you ask a bunch of fourth through sixth grade girls if they want to wash your feet <laughs> it can it can be a lot of fun it's a memorable lesson and never forget their first lesson with me and my wife um 
But again, good to be here. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I like to have fun, but when it comes to the Word of God, I'm very serious. I want you to get your Bible. You can get ready. I'm not going there yet. 2 Kings chapter 22 is what we'll be reading today. And we'll be reading the first 10 verses. But anytime I preach a passage, I feel like it's only right to kind of set up where we're going. And we're going to delve back into this idea of revival, of God refreshing us. We looked in the first service, and since uh, it looks like there are more people here than were here in the first service, a quick recap, and I'll get to where I'm going. But we looked at a special instance in the life of King Solomon, where they had finished building the temple. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, that famous verse, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. So we talked about that this morning, laid down two basic principles. There's some practices that I think set the atmosphere for revival. We ought to do those. That's after that word if in verse 14 of 2 Chronicles 7. But then there are also some promises tied to us if we will practice what was in the first part. Because he says, if my people, then he gives us four things to do it. At the end, he says, then I will. And there's some things he'll do. So we talked about those, but today, kind of shifting gears, we're at a different point. I told you in the first service that it was a high spiritual time. They had just finished the temple, offered all these sacrifices. Solomon had been praying. And when God answered, it was kind of indicting because God knew what his people were going to do. He knew the day would come when they wouldn't be riding that spiritual wave. They'd get further down the road and they would drift away from God. I don't think anybody here needs to be reminded what yesterday was. 20 years ago yesterday, I was in my dorm room at Subtle Hall getting ready to go to my first class. And I was just flipping through the TV and at that point in my life, the news wasn't something that I just was very fond of, but I remember every channel I clicked on, I kept seeing the same thing. And it was almost surreal to think, why is that plane flying so close to that building? And on the heels of all of what happened on September the 11th, it was strange how people started packing out churches. Showing up. Oh my goodness, is the end of the world upon us. And if you look at what's happened over 20 years, what almost kind of might have sparked revival in the land is a distant memory now. How soon people forget. And that same idea that we live under now is what the people are living under right before they get a new king. If you need to understand what goes on in 2 Kings 22, go back a few chapters and actually see how they were led before Josiah becomes the eight-year-old boy king. You see, by the time Josiah took the throne, the nation had languished for over 50 years, actually 57 years under ungodly leadership. The one verse that kind of encapsulates the degradation of Israel during the time of King Manasseh is this. It says, he even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son. In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I have put my name forever. That's 2 Kings 
21.4. Now, that's the place where God had sanctified for his name. That's the same temple we just talked about in the previous sermon where God said, I've chosen it. They have fallen so far that Manasseh made an idol and pushed it into that temple for the people to worship that thing. And if that wasn't bad enough, there's another summary statement about Manasseh in that same chapter, but in verse 16 it says, Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another. Beside his sin, which he had made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. That's 55 years of that. 55 years. And after he dies, his son, Ammon, is going to take the throne. Only reigned for two years, but like father, like son. And listen to what the Bible says about King Ammon. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. So he walked in all the ways that his father had walked and he served the idols that his father had served and worshiped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. That's 2 Kings 21, 20 through 22. That's the situation after which our text is going to unfold. Now that's just a warm up to the message. Here's the message. 2 Kings chapter 22, if you'll jump with me right into Verse 1, I'll read through 10. We're going to survey some whole chapters in this sermon. But I didn't want to put you to sleep by reading them all at one time. Starting at 1 down through 10 from 2 Kings 22, New King James says this. Josiah was 8 years old when he became king and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah, of Boscoth. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And walked in the ways of his father David, he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people, and let them deliver it into the hands of those doing the work who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house, to carpenters and builders and masons, and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hands because they deal faithfully. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word saying, your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book and Shaphan read it before the king. That's our reading. Let us pray and let's get down to business. Lord, I thank you so much for this day. And I thank you for your word that will challenge us, convict us, change us. Lord, these people have come 
we've come to worship. We have lifted our voices to you in song. And now we pray that we'd hear your voice in sermon. These people don't need to hear me. I pray that beyond hearing me, Lord, we would hear from you. Lord, speak. Your servants are listening. As we've opened up your word, would you open up our hearts now? Let it fall on good ground. Let it spring up in good fruit. I simply ask you now, bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed us until we want no more. And this is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Based on what we read, I want to talk, if I had to frame this with a thought, about setting the stage for revival. Now, to pair these two sermons together, our first sermon really was about prayer. The second was really going to be about the Bible. And here's why. Because I think any revival you study in history, those are the two primary elements. And if there's anything the church needs to go back to specializing in, it's those two things. We don't have to have gimmicks, games, and a bunch of other stuff. But if we want to operate in the power of God, we need people with sore knees and worn out Bibles. And if you want to know why the church is so impotent today, it's because I believe quite often we don't have those two things. We have a method, but do we have a powerful prayer life? We have phrases, we have ways of doing things, but are they rooted in the word of God? See, so often, so much of ministry is rooted in what I call pragmatism. We do it because it'll get a number, we do it because it might get a certain result. And here's what I teach preaching and pastoral ministry students at Mid-America. I don't remember where I heard this the first time, but it marked me from the day I heard it. The great danger in ministry and I don't care what your ministry is, the great danger in ministry is this. You can learn how to do it. You can learn how to do it. I preached for almost 25 years. You put me in a corner for 15 minutes with a Bible, I can come out with three principles to talk about. I can hook on some illustrations. I, I, I've got apps on my phone. I can run through and do word studies real quick. I can build you something to say, but until God shall breathe on it, it is not a sermon. But I can get by because I can learn how to do it. And I think the danger of what we've done in our lives, guys, is we've learned how to do it. But are we doing it under the power of the living God? And so as we talk about setting the stage for revival, I'm still not the best Baptist preacher. I had two points in the first sermon. I've got four in this one. But if we do the math and divide by two, I'm right at home. <laughs> but here are the four principles we're going to talk about today about setting the stage for revival. Setting the stage for revival means, number one, we must refocus on the things of God. Secondly, we must rediscover the word of God. Thirdly, Repent before God. And number four, recommit to doing what's in the word of God. That's plain vanilla, but that's Bible. Four basic principles to setting the stage 
for revival. I'll summarize again, and the rest of this time is explanation and expounding. First one, refocus on the things of God. Number two, rediscover the word of God. Number three, repent before God. And number four, recommit to doing what's in the word of God. So let's go back into 22 and let's unpack these ideas from scripture. Because they're no good if they're just my own. But this idea of refocusing on the things of God is seen in the life of this boy king named Josiah. In fact, they're probably better seen in the other summary of this same account that you find in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And so our parallel, you don't have to turn, but just take the note. 2 Chronicles 34 is the same events chronicled there that you have here in 2 Kings. And listen to what it says about Josiah when you read down through 2 Chronicles 34. When you get to verse 3 in 2 Chronicles 34, it says, And in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. The whole idea there is there's somebody who's taken leadership and they've said, if we don't do anything else, we're going to master one thing. We're going to get our eyes back where they need to be. If I could share any word with anybody across the world, across the country, across Arkansas, Tennessee, Mississippi, you name it, here it is. Get your eyes focused on who really matters. All this stuff we're watching, I think, is the enemy trying to get us off what our main job is. All this division, all this chaos, all this ungodly stuff that we focus on has nothing to do with eternity and the church need not be distracted. Because here's the thing, if we change everything in our economic structure, if we go and overhaul all of our government, at the end of it all, those things will fade away and all that will matter in the end is where every person stands with Jesus Christ. Those are great secondary things, but they're not primary things. Christ alone and where people stand with him is primary business. And Josiah says it doesn't matter what Ammon did. It doesn't matter what Manasseh did. What we're going to do now is get our eyes focused on the Lord. So much so that Josiah leads a campaign among Israel that we're going to fix up the temple. So how the temple deteriorates so? temple, that place that pictures the very presence of God, the things of God. You want to know how the things of God go lacking? I'll tell you, it's real simple. We allow the things of God to go lacking, and we pay little attention to the things of God when we have little attention on the God of the things. I'll tell you that again. When we are letting the things of God fall away and they don't have our attention, that's symptomatic. But the source is this. We're not focused on the things of God because we're not focused on the God of the things in our homes. And I told you we have five kids. Three of our kids are in the same soccer league. We were at the soccer field on Tuesday, Thursday, and twice yesterday. 
But I'll tell you something I'm committed to. Their walk with Christ is more important than their soccer game. Doesn't mean our kids can't play sports, but what's going to be the priority? We set that. We have nightly prayer time, and there are Tuesdays and Thursdays where that prayer time is done in our van coming from the soccer field, but we're going to have family prayer. See, all this stuff we talk about people taking from us is not stuff that the government took or the world took. We just stopped focusing on it. And it's about time to refocus on the things of God. Make them a priority. They don't just become that. And that's what Josiah does. And I'm going to tell you, don't, don't think for a minute that everybody in Israel likes what this kid is doing. Because they don't. Because see, what's happened is this. Their ungodliness has become tied to their economy. And folks don't mind your spirituality until it affects their money. Paul could tell you about that. When he, when he had folks coming in those cities, burning those idols up, you know why they got mad? Because all the silversmiths like Demetrius, they were getting together and said, man, this guy's messing up our income. This fellow's messing with my money. Now, you good Baptist folks can meet all you want to. Have great services, but leave that stuff inside those buildings. No, no. There's this thing called conviction. And I want to share something with you. See, I really believe a lot of people don't have convictions anymore. They have positions, but not convictions. And I call them not convictions. I call them conveniences. And we'll hold them as long as it's convenient. But can I share something with you? So you can have it as long as it's convenient. But so you don't have a conviction. Convictions have you. And there's a difference. When it's a conviction, I, I can't just neglect that. It's kind of like Paul saying, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. See, I don't have preaching. Preaching has me. I don't have life if I don't serve Christ. See, I don't have Christ. Christ has me. It's time to refocus. And so Josiah tells the fellows, if you read down through those verses, the context of one through seven, and I'll kind of highlight it for you. He, he tells those guys with all those funny names, he says, now you guys go and you go check with the priest, have them count the money because we're raising money to build and, and refurbish the temple and, and just go make sure they've got what they need. They don't have to send back receipts because they're honorable people. Just, just go make sure things are, are, are in line. And so they go. And in the context of them going, one of those things that, that, that just grabs my mind and I can't figure it out. I mean, it's just, it, it's so hard for me to understand. Is that while they go and they're working on this issue that the king has set forth of refocusing on the things of God, something else miraculous happens. And it's the fact they rediscover the word of God. Hold up. It's the temple. This is where they actually have copies of the scrolls where they, they're supposed to read from. And do you realize that people in the temple had allowed the temple to get so cluttered that they had actually lost the Bible? Share something with you. Do you realize it's possible in First Baptist Church, in DeSoto Hills Baptist Church where I belong, that we can get so busy that we lose the Bible? You can have one at your house on your coffee table and still lose it. You can have one by your nightstand and still lose it. What do you mean? It really has no place of value. 
Because see, when Ammon and Manasseh started bringing all that idol, that idol worship into the temple, they just pushed those scrolls further back until they got so buried nobody even remembered they were there. They had completely gotten off purpose. They didn't even know what they were meeting for. Now I've been here in now my second service. I've heard the name of Jesus lifted high in song and in worship. And so I don't believe it's the case here, but I'm going to tell you something. There are many churches or many places called churches all over the land that have no idea what the Bible really is. Somebody gets up every week and opens it, reads from it, gets up and starts talking, but they're not holding it up as the word of God. Let me tell you how you know. See, when it's God's word, there's a little simple thing I give people. And here's the great challenge of your life from now on. The challenge is this. When you hear the word of God, you are going to have to decide, am I going to try to bend the Bible in the shape of my life or am I going to bend my life in the shape of the Bible? And too often on Sundays, what we're watching are people bending the Bible in the shapes of the lives of people rather than forcing people to confront the need to bend your life in the shape of the Bible. And so when they get down and they start trying to make reckoning of the books to find out if they've got what they need, it says, well, well at that point, it says Hilkiah in verse 8, the high priest says to Shaphan, I found the book of the law in the house of God. Man, they're so excited. I didn't even know this was here. It's been so hidden, I didn't even know we had this. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan reads it. And it says, Shaphan, the scribe in verse 9, went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, and they've delivered it into the hands of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. But Shaphan said, But king, wait, there's one more thing I need to tell you. We went down there to make sure the money was right, but when we got there, Hilkiah gave me a book. And Shaphan took that book and he read it to the king. Guys, we're so used to having a Bible that we take the Bible for granted. In 2017, I was in Ajumani, Uganda. Came back from Uganda and contracted malaria while I was there. No fun. But I was so challenged while I was in Ajumani, Uganda about my own Christian walk because I felt like I was so pathetic. Because my life is, is kind of all convenient. I live in the great United States of America. The church I attend has padded pews, conditioned air, and stained glass windows. And these people were meeting in a cinder block building that felt like an oven. There was no conditioned air. There were a few rickety chairs, some with plastic, some with no back on them. And to get air in the building, they had these huge iron shutters that they had to swing open and pray for a breeze. And there were people stacked in there like dominoes. And you would talk or you would preach and you'd bring up the word heaven and you'd watch people stand up, get their plastic chair and shake it over their head because they long for heaven that much. 
and you talk about the Bible, they were still trying to get copies of the Bible in some of the native languages of some of the tribes people in the area, and they talked about how they would get a Bible, and they cut the pages out of it, and they would hand out pages so that people could take at least a page of the Bible home to read it. And we've got pages of the Bible and treat it as such a flippant thing. We want to see revival come. Refocus on the things of God. Rediscover the word of God. There's this neat little thing I get to do with the preaching students that I get to teach. And we talk about presuppositions in preaching. For you to preach. If you say you're going to preach, there's some stuff you just got to believe from square one or you shouldn't be preaching. And I talk about three of them. The first one is that God speaks. If you don't believe God speaks, why are you talking? Sit down. But I believe God speaks, and I believe God speaks through his word. I'm not talking mystical and him writing stuff on the clouds or chirping through birds. I'm talking about right here. Saw a great cartoon the other day that blessed my soul as somebody reposted this thing on Twitter. It was a guy looking to heaven with his hand stretched out saying, Lord, speak to me. And on the right-hand side was the other picture, and it was God with his hand sticking through the cloud with a Bible. And it said, Bible. You want God to talk to you. He is right there. Get in it. God speaks. The other one is that God seeks. Folk don't run for God. God runs after people. So much so, a poet of old called Christ, the hound of heaven, who's on the trail of sinners, he's running down sinners. Christ said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's our God. He speaks. He seeks. He saves. If, if, if that's not the God of the Bible, we're missing the Bible. And to rediscover that every week, I hope you never get tired of the gospel. The gospel is not just for lost people. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But once you are saved, it's the gospel continually applied that brings you to maturation and sanctification. You grow by feasting on the gospel. It's like watching a fine gem. The more you turn the gospel over in your mind, it's like turning a diamond in soft light. You see angles you've never seen. You pick up on principles you never understood. And my God, how I pray we'd rediscover the word of God we don't need other stuff get in the word if we're going to call it Bible study I've got a novel idea study the Bible I'm, I'm just saying we do all this stuff to prop up God's word this is the God breathed word this came off his mouth to his people across time across circumstance he wrote it down and he gave it to us to get it out these guys rediscovered the word. Third. So if we go back and recap up to this point. First one, refocus on the things of God. Second, rediscover the word of God. And there's a strange thing about the word when you get in it. And there's no way around it. God's word will convict you. And we need to repent before God. I wish I could tell you that I'm as good at this Christian life as you might think I am, but I'm not. I stink. 
I came across a message the other day, a little short thing on some social media post that was just good for me. It said two things ought to overwhelm you. You ought to be overwhelmed by how absolutely holy God is and how absolutely wretched you are without him. I'm going to tell you something. I'm a mess. But I bless God for grace. And every time I get in the Bible, every time I open it, I'm confronted by how small my faith is, by how weak my witness is. And it's not me trying to have some, some sort of spiritual masochism toward myself where I'm just trying to tear myself down. But when you see yourself in light of who God is, you have that Isaiah 6 moment. And it's so neat to read Isaiah when he, in chapter 5, is talking about woe unto them and woe unto them and woe unto them and woe unto those people over there. But in chapter 6, the Bible says he saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died. High lifted up in the train of his robe, filled the temple. He saw the seraphim flying around, crying, holy, holy, holy. And it talks about the pillars shaking at the voice of him that sat on the throne. And listen to Isaiah's summary of himself. Now it's not woe is them. Woe is me, for I'm undone. So these guys are excited. They bring the book in here in Second Chronicles and they, or Second Kings, and they bring the book in, they're reading, and it says about the king in verse 11 that it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that we're at least country kinfolk. And I'm, I'm going to believe that, that you can get with this lingo I'm about to use. When's the last time the Lord really got a hold of you? I mean, really. It, it wasn't just, you know, man, I, I, I should have done better. I'm talking about broken. About how much you should thank God for grace. The king is so affected by what he heard that there's a physical manifestation. He rips his clothes. A sign of anguish in the heart. What he does to his clothes is what he feels in his heart. Our sin ought to break our heart. See, guys, it's so easy to look out the window at others, and it's so hard to look in the mirror at ourselves. When he hears this, and listen, Josiah's a guy who's been trying to live right. I mean, you read about it, man. He's been tearing down uh, altars to idol gods. This guy's pretty extreme. Now, you're going to read later on, he's going to dig up people's graves and set their bones on fire. I hadn't gone that far. I mean, you know, we would think this guy was a radical, and he heard this read, he just fell apart. He becomes like putty. It says in 12, then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, 
Agbor, the son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the scribe, Isaiah, the servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that's aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Here's the idea. Find out what God's going to do to us because we've been wrong. Christian, I need to tell you something. Believe you need to hear this. This is why we praise God for grace. Thank God for grace. We're his children. He's not going to beat us down over our sin. But he will convict us to get us to come home. So we'll turn. Because here's that little thing that many of us have to wrestle with in our own sin as believers. You know better. Now the one thing you got to be able to say about these folk. They had never read it. They had never heard it. Quite often that's not my excuse. But my response needs to be repentance. Not defending my sin, not excusing my sin, not pushing it off on someone else. Lord, it's me and I am wrong. That's a hard place to get to. That's why the gospel today is not real popular because it's not self-help. It's not helping myself to tell me I'm wrong. It's not building up my interpersonal, you know, value. But it's showing me my need for the God who's greater than I am. And I'll tell you something else I've learned about myself too. As I've lived longer and longer serving Christ, I'm kind of out of the business of thinking I'm getting better. Now I'm not getting better. I tell you what I am getting though. I'm getting more dependent. Because I see more and more and more about how wicked I am. But praise God that if I'll just admit my sinfulness... He's faithful and he's just to forgive and give me grace beyond. We just, we just sung about that. That's why we praise God because he knows all the dirt on me and he'll still deal with me. Man, there are some people I'll call, you know, we got these smartphones now. I got a word about that. Uh, phones are getting smart. Thank you for getting silly, but, but that's for another day. They'll look and see my name and won't answer. God knows it's me calling and say, man, I've been waiting to talk to you. Repent. What is the thing in your life today that God has shown you? You need to get that right. All of us have some of that stuff. But here's the great mystery to me about church. I say it like I said when I was pastoring in Starkville. Church is a funny thing. Because to me, sometimes, if we're not careful, church would be the only place full of crooked folks trying to all act like we're straight. All of us know we got hang-ups, we got issues. But man, why not bring all that baggage to Jesus and say, Lord, help me. And so this text goes on about how they go and they find hold of the prophets and they go back and they say what's going to happen. And yeah, wrath is going to fall. It is. But here's the beauty of what Josiah found out. He was going to die under the grace of God and not see a bunch of that because he decided he was going to be a man that pursued God and he sought God. 
Every one of us in this room knows if you've read the Bible and you believe it, this world's not going to stand forever. I don't care how many green deals we cut. It's not going to stand forever. I don't care what our positions are. It's not going to stand forever. Peter talked about how the, the heavens are going to pass away with a great noise and the elements are going to melt with fervent heat and the sky is going to roll up like a scroll. That's in the Bible. But the beauty of what you and I can do between now and that time is tell as many folks as we can about Christ so they'll turn to him and not have to endure that forever eternal punishment of separation from God. That's why we share Christ. It started with this man repenting. Last one, and we'll be done for the day. The final ingredient that's unveiled in this episode of how we set the stage for revival is to recommit to doing what's in the word of God. I have to battle this as a professor and as somebody who reads the Bible quite often. The information in the Bible is not simply to fill a notebook and it's not there just to fill your head. It is there to fill your heart and thereby to fill your life. It is to be applied, not just to be memorized. And so Josiah has been confronted with this. He's read it. And if you fast forward through chapter 22 and get into 23, you're going to see where he brings about this restoration of real worship because God has gotten a hold of his heart. And chapter 23 opens up and says, now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with him all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. And here it is. Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people took a stand for the covenant. Tell what I believe our world is really sitting on the edge for. A man. A man. Don't call me chauvinistic. Let me explain. I believe our world waiting on some men who are just going to stand up and say, if you don't like me, that's cool. But I'm going to do what the Lord said. I'm going to lead my family the way God said. I'm going to handle everything in my life the way the Lord said. I'm going to commit my life to living by the word of God and it doesn't matter what they call me. It doesn't matter who doesn't like me. It doesn't matter who unfriends me, who doesn't follow me on social media, who doesn't speak to me at the store. I'm going to live by this if everybody throws me away and I believe with all of my heart when men start rising up like that, you're going to watch a ground swell because other men will get behind a man like that. There's a movement afoot when people have conviction 
You don't have to keep looking around asking folks, is it all right? No, go do it. There comes a moment, to use a Mississippi phrase, where somebody's got to be a bell cow. This is hog country. But do you know what a bell cow is? That's the cow that has the bell around her neck, and when they take off, the herd goes with that cow because that cow, for some reason, is kind of almost just designed to be out front. And I'm telling you, some of you are hiding in the herd, and you're meant to be a bell cow. You're meant to be the person out front leading. Stop looking around, finding out who's going to go with you. You take off and they're coming. And I told you guys in the early service, I kind of have always had an issue since a young age with kind of being, I don't know, I guess proud is the word we use. But I remember being in the, in the 10th grade, playing a town called Oklahoma. They were like our arch rival. We were down in this game, and we needed to win this game. We were in the playoffs. We needed this win bad. This, this win meant we're going to the North Half Championship game. And on one side of me, I played center in high school, and on one side of me were two seniors, and then there was a junior. I forgot the other guy, but we have a whole senior side, and we're down by like two points, just a few seconds left in the game. Our coach calls a timeout, calls us all up. He said, we need to score. And I want to know who I can run the ball behind. And y'all, I sat there for a minute in this huddle with these upperclassmen. I was trying to give them a chance to say, I'll, you can run it behind me. And do you know nobody said anything? And, I, and my patience just wore thin. And I told my coach, I said, you run it behind me. I said, I guarantee you we'll score. And he looked at me. He said, you know who's over you? I said, yep. I said, he ain't been a problem all night, has he? There was just a moment in my life where I said, you know what? If nobody's going to step up, I'll be that dude. We go back to the line. He called it running right up my behind. And the guy in front of me with the same size, same height, and he's probably about five steps quicker than I am. He wound up playing in Middle Tennessee State. His nickname was Boogie. Boogie was six foot two and weighed 265 pounds, and he could boogie. He played fullback on offense. He carried my free safety 55 yards on his back. Before the free safety got his foot around and just kicked him and tripped him. And so we line up nose to nose. He's standing up at linebacker. We hit and nobody moved. And I had just enough to catch his shoulder pad and do that. And we won. And we celebrated. And I didn't get in the paper. And that was cool. You know why? It didn't matter. But somebody had to be the guy. Say, run the ball behind me. How long are you going to be satisfied to watch your neighborhood get worse? And your world get worse? And all the while, you got all the medicine. The man is so bad. It's so terrible. Tell coach call to play. I'll sacrifice myself. I'll go. Somebody's got to be the guy. You know who Josiah is? Read the text. Man, he's not the prophet. He's not the priest, but all the priests following him. He's not even the key spiritual leader in terms of who's got rank. He's just the king. In the spiritual perspective, he's not that dude. 
But all the priests get behind him because there's something about a man who has great conviction and who's just sold out. I'll paraphrase a quote from a guy named Dwight Moody as I hear in this sermon. And I bet some of you heard this. Dwight Moody said, the world has yet to see what God will do with, to, and through, and for a man who's completely sold out to him. I think I'll try and be such a man. The dude sold shoes for a living. Became one of the greatest voices for Christ that has ever lived in any generation as a shoe salesman. None of you in this room would call his secular job impressive or important. So what? Because the God who used him inspired Paul to write something like this to the Corinthian church. God didn't choose many wise or many strong or many mighty, but he took the weak and the foolish to confound the wise and the strong so that he gets all the glory. So tell me I'm not able. That's good. You're qualified. I don't know. Even better, you're teachable. But be that person. That's how you set the stage for revival. Refocus on the things of God. Rediscover the word of God. Repent before God. Recommit to doing what's in the word of God. Today, I really believe that God has some things he's working on us in. I don't know what you need to do about it. If you need to come, as the saying goes, get in the altar, pray, pray at your seat. I don't know. For some of you, it may be, I really don't know Christ. I need to be saved. Whatever that business is, I pray you'll handle that business today. I'm going to pray. And we're going to sing. Pastor's going to come. But whatever you need to do today, I pray you do it. Only Christ will save you. Only Christ will help you. Man, let's go. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God care for one another, and share the gospel.